Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, what more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder... If you are like me, you grew up in a time where our parents had to check our Halloween candy before we were allowed to eat it. Mostly, they checked to make sure everything was sealed up still, and there was no evidence of tampering. And if you were bold enough to ask your parents why, they may have given you a tall tale of a rogue poisoner who put God knows what in our candy or razor blades in our apples. For the most part, this was nothing but an urban legend passed down long before we were born. But on October 31st, 1974, citizens of Deer Park, Texas, got a first-hand look at what happens when legend becomes a reality. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Living in Deer Park, Texas in 1974 was the O'Brien family. Father Ronald Clark O'Brien, an optician who served as a deacon at a local Baptist church, as well as a singer in their choir, his wife, Deneen, and their two children, eight-year-old Timothy and five-year-old Elizabeth. And like most of the families living in the suburbs, Ronald spent most of his evening on October 31st, 1974, trick-or-treating with the kids in a Pasadena neighborhood. Joined by a neighbor and his two children, the group walked over to a home that, when the children knocked, failed to open the door and deliver the candy. Impatient and probably a little sugar high, the kids decided to run ahead to the next house. Ronald, who lagged behind a bit, eventually caught up and had five 21-inch pixie sticks in his hand, claiming the homeowner had come back just as the kids had run off. Being handed the holy grail of Halloween candy, the kids excitedly took a stick and Ronald held on to the extra until he saw a 10-year-old boy he recognized from the church. With the night winding down, the group disbanded and went back to their homes, 
At which point Timothy asked the same thing almost every single kid does on Halloween night. Can he have one piece before bed? He, of course, picked the giant pixie stick and asked his father to help him remove the stapled opening. He did, and when Timothy took that first big swig of sugar, he complained that it tasted bitter and was given Kool-Aid to help negate the taste. Almost immediately, Timothy began complaining about stomach pains and ran to the bathroom, where he began vomiting and convulsing. Ronald held his son while his body writhed until he suddenly and tragically went shockingly still. Timothy O'Brien died en route to the hospital less than an hour after consuming the candy. When the news of his death reached the community, parents everywhere started to panic and neighbors of the O'Briens rushed to their kids' candy stash, worried that they too may have gotten a poisoned piece. Former Harris County Prosecutor Mike Hinton happened to be working the police intake that night and heard the call about a boy who had been rushed to the hospital that night. Realizing what a panic this story would cause, he immediately called the chief medical examiner of the nearby county and asked what the boy's breath smelled like. A call to the morgue delivered the news that Mike had feared. Timothy O'Brien had a sweet smell of almonds coming from his mouth. The smell of cyanide. A pathologist would later confirm that Timothy had ingested enough cyanide to kill two full-grown adults. And a test on the tainted piece of candy determined that the top two inches of sugar had been replaced with poison. Realizing they needed to recover the remaining four sticks of candy, police reached out to the other family who went trick-or-treating with the O'Briens that night, noting that whoever poisoned the candies had simply removed the paper on the opening and restapled it shut. When they rushed to the room of one of the other boys who received the deadly pixie stick, he was lying in bed asleep with the candy still in his hand. He had not been strong enough to open up the staple. All of the candies were recovered, which had enough cyanide to kill three to four adults. And Timothy was the sole casualty. With the case underway, Ronald O'Brien was brought in for questioning about the house where he got the candies that night. He claimed he could not remember despite the fact that they only took the kids to a few houses due to the poor weather. And from that moment, police became suspicious of their victim's father. The suspicions only grew when they questioned every house on the street and found that none had handed out pixie sticks. Walking the neighborhood with police, Ronald led them to the house where he claimed he got the tainted candy. He said that the owner, who kept all of the lights off, cracked his front door and handed him the five candies. Ronald claimed the arm was hairy, leading him to believe the potential poisoner was a male. But when they checked on the home, police found out that it was owned by a man named Courtney Melvin, who was an air traffic controller at the local airport and did not get off work until 11 p.m. on Halloween night, something corroborated by about 200 different witnesses, meaning he could not have been the man who supposedly handed Ronald the poisoned candy. Around that time, police learned that Ronald was over $100,000 in debt, equivalent to about $520,000 in today's money, and had a history of being unable to hold a job. In fact, he had over 21 different jobs over the course of the last 10 years and had recently been fired from Texas State Optical because he was suspected of theft. His car was about to be repossessed, he had defaulted on several bank loans, and the family home was foreclosed on. 
And the one thing that could have gotten him out of his financial mess, a newly acquired insurance policy on both of his children that he upped just a month before Timothy's death and again in the days preceding his death. In total, the various policies would have totaled about $60,000, over $300,000 in today's money. After learning that Ronald had visited a chemical supply store in Houston to buy cyanide just before Halloween, though he did end up leaving empty-handed, police had enough information to arrest Ronald O'Brien on November 5, 1974. They believed that his plan involved the death of both of his children and that the other three victims would simply be to make his story seem more believable. Deneen claimed she had no clue about her husband's deadly plan and knew nothing about the insurance policies. Dubbed the Candyman by the national press, Ronald maintained his innocence and was taken to trial on four counts of attempted murder and one count of capital murder. He pleaded not guilty to all five accounts, and his trial began on May 5, 1975. During the trial, a chemist, who was an acquaintance of Ronald's, took the stand and claimed that Ronald contacted him in the summer of 1973 and asked him how much cyanide would be fatal to a human being. And another, a chemical supply salesman, testified that Ronald asked him how and where to purchase cyanide. Others stood up and told about his, quote, unusual interest in cyanide, while his sister-in-law and brother-in-law claimed that, on the day of Timothy's funeral, they both heard the supposed grieving father talking about insurance policies and taking a long vacation. Ronald's defense team relied heavily on the supposed bias their client received and drew upon the decades-old urban legend about a poisoner who hands out laced Halloween candy a story that persisted throughout history despite having no documented instances of strangers poisoning trick-or-treaters. But with the jury's decision to convict on June 3, 1975, after just 46 minutes of deliberation, Ronald O'Brien became the truth in those urban legends. He was sentenced to death and, shortly after, his wife filed for divorce. While behind bars, the child killer became a completely friendless member of death row, with his fellow inmates petitioning to hold a demonstration on his execution date to express their hatred. After successfully petitioning for a stay of execution, Judge Michael McSpadden scheduled his execution for October 31st, 1982, the eighth anniversary of the murder, and offered to personally drive him to the death chambers. It was supposed to be the first time Texas used lethal injection, but the Supreme Court delayed the date yet again and gave him a chance to pursue an appeal and seek a new trial. The fourth stay of execution, based on cruel and unusual punishment, was denied on March 31, 1984. Ronald O'Brien, still maintaining his innocence, walked into the execution chamber claiming he forgave everyone involved in his death and took his last breath as 300 demonstrators gathered outside and cheered. Some even yelling out trick-or-treat and showering anti-death penalty demonstrators with candy. In the aftermath of his crime and execution, Ronald O'Brien effectively ruined Halloween for little kids all over the United States. Parents held off on candy distribution, and some even brought the candy to the police stations to be x-rayed for abnormalities. No one wanted their kids to end up like poor Timothy O'Brien and die at the hands of men like his father, the man who killed 
Halloween. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear the terrible thing that happened on November 1st. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.